Today's scripture continues in the Beatitudes. It's from Matthew 5, verses 9 and 10. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The words of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When I was looking at the word peacemakers, I wanted to understand what peacemakers meant in the Bible. Kind of have an understanding of what peacemakers mean in our world. I know I was talking to my daughter Jamie and peacemakers came up and my son-in-law in in the background yelled, I know what a peacemaker is, it's a missile. And I said, "I, I don't think that's the definition I'm looking for. So I looked in my Bible dictionary and I looked up peacemaker and it is, a peacemaker is someone who looks to make shalom, God's peace, in the world without the use of force or coercion. It is someone who tries to have the world a better place for both parties without one being hurt or harmed in either way. True peace of God in the world. And then a little later in the dictionary, it says, and it is often an act of futility. And I thought, wow, that's in the dictionary. And then further on it says, but it's not the ends that matter, it's the act itself. It's trying to constantly build the kingdom of heaven, to being that peacemaker, to going forward and making peace in the world even when the world fights back and isn't ready for peace. It's showing that a world can be peaceful without weapons involved. It's being, showing that the world can be peaceful without embargoes being involved or sanctions being involved. Those are the things that we think of that maintain peace. We think of detente. We think of balance of powers. We think of mutual death through nuclear destruction. That's what we think of peace. That is not the peace of shalom, God's peace. When Jesus told us these beatitudes, blessed are the peacemaker and blessed are those who are persecuted, he was living in one of the greatest times of peace in history. He was living in the time of Pax Romana, which was the peace of Rome. But he also knew that that was not a shalom. That was a peace brought about by, by war and held in place by a sword to the throat. Anybody that went against Rome in any shape or form was brought to heel quickly, usually by death. Can you think of an area maybe in Rome's lands that used to have people rise up and maybe Rome got a little crazy and tried to kill them? Any place, just, you know, any place around Passover. Any place. Israel, sound familiar? 
where during Passover, Rome would bring in extra armies because they knew that the people would riot against having pagans governing them. They knew that the people would try to rise up and get away from this peace of Rome that they didn't want. And what the Romans did is they would come in and they would quell the riots. Quelling the riots meant killing the rioters. There was no putting them in jail for a couple of days. That didn't work. If you rose up in opposition to Rome, peace was restored through death. And one of the ways that they truly wanted to get the point of cross is when they found the leader of the peace or the leader of the revolt is that they killed that leader in the most humiliating way possible. So when Christ was talking to these people and he said, blessed are the peacemakers, and he was not only talking to those in the crowd, but he was specifically talking to his disciples. Blessed are the peacemakers. And then he said, and blessed are those who will be persecuted. He knew who he was talking to, and he knew who he was talking about. Because he suffered the most humiliating death. Now, Rome had a wide variety of ways to choose from when it came to putting people to death. And they did a wide variety of deaths. Christ could have died in any number of ways. They chose the most humiliating way that they could do to kill him as a message. That if you rise up against us, we will not only kill you, but we are going to humiliate you and your entire group that follows you. So you better not do it again. That's persecution. And that's what Christ was telling them to do. Risk this. Because it's so important to God. What you do trying to get shalom out in the world may be futile during your lifetime. But your actions, your movement forward trying to bring God's kingdom into this world, the movement of trying to bring peace into a world that doesn't see peace that often, that is worth any risk. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now Christ knew that that armies weren't good peacemakers. Christ knew that governments weren't good peacemakers. And we can see that in our own history as a country that has governments that normally aren't great peacemakers. Now, whether you voted for Trump or you didn't vote for Trump, I don't care. But Trump was voted in as our head warrior, commander-in-chief of our military. There's nothing in that definition that says he was voted in to be a peacemaker. That's our job. Christ called us to be the peacemakers. But we did see peacemakers as part of the demonstration after the inauguration. And I am not talking about the riots that happened calling themselves peaceful protests the day of the inauguration. It is never 
a peacemaker that joins with an anarchist and turns things over and fires things, puts things on fire and breaks windows and harms people. I don't care who they call themselves. That is not a peacemaker because by definition, they are using force and they are using violence. So whatever message they think they're sending, that is not a peacemaker. But the next day, when you saw women getting together throughout our country, even throughout the world, and coming together and marching peaceably, just saying, we have a voice, and we are here. And a lot of them were marching for different reasons. They had a variety of reasons they wanted to march, but they wanted to march and say that we are here, and we want to peaceably make a difference in the world. That is peacemakers. That was women from different sides, different sides of the equation, different ends of the spectrum, different political parties, different religions, different ethnicities, all coming together peaceably to make a motion. Those are peacemakers. And then the day after that, the Right to Life movement also had a beautiful, peaceful um, movement going through and a rally and a march. Now, I don't care if you are a right to lifer, if you are a pro-choicer, but they were being peacemakers. They didn't scream at anybody that they had to leave. They marched peacefully. They got their message out. They were civil. That is peacemakers. Part of being a peacemaker is learning to talk to each other especially those that we disagree with each other civilly. I know that there are some in this room that went to the 815 civility program that was held at Heartland. And the whole program was that we have to learn to talk to each other civilly. We don't have to agree with everything the other person says. We don't have to agree with their ideology. We don't have to agree with their politics. But we have to agree that we are all children of God. We are all beautiful creations. We are all human beings. And that because we are all human beings, we have the inherent right to be heard, to be spoken to civilly, and that we have the right to be truly loved as a neighbor. Isn't that what Christ said? Love your Lord God and love your neighbor as yourself. He never said once you have to agree with them. Not once. <laughs> he didn't say you have to agree with them on anything. He said love them. Love them as yourself. Treat them right. Treat them good. Never said you had to become a Republican or you had to become a Democrat. He never even said you have to be a Methodist. Who knew? <laughs> Treat them right. Treat them good. Christ also knew that our military, even the military back then, was not a means of peace. They are a means of security. We need our military. Most of you know I love dearly my son-in-law. My daughter hates that I love dearly my son-in-law. She keeps telling me that I like him more than her. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> 
He served in Iraq for 18 months. And he was in that time when we went from being all out war in Iraq to that time when suddenly they decided that our soldiers had to start being peacemakers. So um, Curtis, who's 6'4", when he first got over there, and please forgive the language, but it's true, and I mean in the definition of the place. When he first got over there, he spent a week being shown PowerPoints, and he calls them PowerPoints from hell. And they're PowerPoints of showing you every horrible thing that can happen to you in every horrible way by the enemy. So they show you men, women, children, bombers, and what the results are. They show you toys, and they show you um, every little piece of a household item, and they show you everything that an IED bomb can come in, and the results of that. That's hours and hours during a week that you show how everything that you're coming across during that week in every village that you go to can and will kill you. That is pounded into their head for hours every day that week. And so that is how he served for months, that everything he saw could possibly kill him, and it was better for him to kill it first than to be killed. And he lost a close friend, they call him Battle Buddies, and if you see him, he has a memorial tattoo on his arm because it was the day he was supposed to go out in the Humvee, and his friend asked to go because he was getting crazy sitting around, and Curtis said, yeah, and the friend didn't come back. So he lives with that. But the time came when the government said, you know, we're going to be moving out soon. So now instead of seeing everybody as an enemy, now we're going to send you out as peacemakers. So when you go out into the town now, you're to smile and you're to treat people like friends. But remember, they're still really dangerous. So he's out in his full gear with his body armor and his sunglasses and his gun, and he's walking with two other, well, three other guys, two other guys with the guns, and then he's got his sergeant, and as they walk down the street, suddenly this young boy, who we found out later was four, comes running towards them, full tilt. And he says all he hears is his sergeant saying, Hold, 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 because they see death running towards them. They don't know what this kid's going to be. They don't know if this child has um, explosion, uh, explosives wrapped around him from his parents because they've seen that. They don't know if they're going to have to defend themselves from this child. They don't know what's happening. As the child keeps getting closer, Curtis says he's thinking, Oh my God, I'm going to have to shoot a kid. Oh my God, I don't know what to do. And then the father comes running out screaming. All he wants is a picture. All he wants is a picture. So the sergeant says, hold. And Curtis said, I have never been so terrified of anything in my life than I was of that four-year-old boy. As he came closer, and I'm praying, please don't explode. And then the kid comes up. And he's smiling huge. In that picture, he's so thrilled to have that picture with the soldier. He just wanted the picture with Curtis because Curtis was like way taller than anybody in his village. So there's a picture of Curtis kneeling down 
and he's got the kid on one side and his gun on the other side, which is about as tall as the kid. And Curtis is ghost white with this really bad smile on his face because all he said he could think of as that picture was being taken is, I almost killed him. I could have killed this kid. That's what happens when we suddenly decide that our, our soldiers are going to be peacemakers. That they're going to turn around someday and they're going to bring peace into this world. And then maybe the next time we send them out, we're going to send them to another place and then we're going to tell them to start killing people again. We can't expect our soldiers to be our peacemakers. That's too much. Christ told us that that is our responsibility. That's our job. We are meant to be the peacemakers. We are meant to go in the world and be part of that movement that brings peace into this world. We are meant to make sure that Christ's message is not lost in this world. We are meant to use love. We are meant to use walks. We are meant to use rallies. We are meant to use every relationship we have to bring peace into this world. You might be saying, well, you know, I'm not a diplomat. I don't go to these foreign junctions. You don't have to be. Because once again, when you think about diplomats and you think about all of these government functions, that is governments. Governments have all kinds of ideas of what they want that has nothing to do with what God wants. Your whole life is to be peacemakers. Christ asked you to do the job, not a government to do the job. He never said, I want Caesar to be a peacemaker. He knew better. Caesar had his own agenda. The United States of America government has its own agenda to be our government. God wants us to be his people. His people are blessed to be the peacemakers. Where do we start with that? We start with that in our own community. We start with that in our own congregation. Being open to one another. Sharing a handshake, sharing a smile, sharing our time with being civil to each other. Then doing something even a little bit more. Our congregation decided to start a new ministry. It's not huge, it's just a new ministry. That we're going to be working with people in our community. People that don't have the money or don't have the opportunity to fix up their houses, to be functioning houses. And we're going to send teams out to those houses to help fix those houses. But unlike other work camps where we go miles away and then we never see them again, these are people in our community. So we're going to be in relationship with those people. We're not going far away. We're in our community. So we're going to build a relationship, and we're going to be seeing our neighbors. We're going to be asking, how can we help? And when they say, well, how can I help back? We're going to say, come on, join us. Help us in this movement. How can we move things better? It's going to be a conversation. It's going to be a relationship. And that's how we get shalom. That's 
how we bring peace about in this world. And maybe we'll be a bit persecuted. Oh, you're trying to fix everything. We might. Who cares? We're going to be working towards shalom, one relationship at a time, seeing one person get helped at a time, moving forward one step at a time. But even these teams can't do it alone. Everybody, and I mean everybody in this room, in this community, in this world, needs to bring peace from their tables at home, to their neighbors by the fence, to their communities, and outward. Saying hello to your neighbor, helping someone carry a bag, making sure that you see everyone as you walk through a parking lot, look up and say hello. You see somebody coming up a bus, don't drop your eyes. Look up. Say hello. Make sure that everything you do is following the simple commandment of love your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Your neighbors are there because God put them there. You bring peace to this world. You bring shalom to this world simply by loving them as Christ taught you to love. Let the people say, Amen.